For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten opposition or oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, as people turn back to them and find no fault in them, and they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus... I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors like a dream when one, when one awakes. Oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When soul was embittered when I was pricked in the heart. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and he's my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. Amen? I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of your works. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I just invite you here this morning. I ask that you have your way with us, God. I pray that these words would not be my words, but they'd be yours. Would your word do what you say that it will, God, that it will go out and it will not return void. And so we pray this morning, God, that you open up our hearts to hear from you, that you speak directly to us in the condition of our hearts this morning, no matter where we're at, God. We all come from different walks, different backgrounds. We're struggling in different areas. There's different things going on in our lives but yet we're bound together this morning in the name of Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would meet us in this place, that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the late 19th century, John, John D. Rockefeller, who was worth about $340 billion in today's currency, was asked how much money is enough money, to which he responded by saying, just a little bit more. If any of you are familiar with the hip-hop artist Post Malone, anybody Post Malone fans? He had this 2018 hit song that's called Rich and Sad. And he sings about this like insanely luxurious lifestyle, right? Full of sports cars, girls, jewelry, cash, sold-out concert, breaking Spotify uh, streaming records. And then he ends the song, if you go listen to it, by saying this, all this living couldn't satisfy my soul Got a hundred big places, but I'm still alone. It's estimated this year that shoppers in the United States will spend about $10 million a minute on Black Friday, which ironically 
um, is the day that comes after the day where we aim to be thankful for what we already have. Interesting, huh? After winning his third Super Bowl title, quarterback Tom Brady, the most accomplished quarterback in NFL history, said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think to myself, there has to be something more out there for me. There has to be something more than this. Beyonce has hundreds of millions of sales and downloads of her music. She's the CEO of several different labels and companies. She started her own clothing line. She consistently sells out arenas in every city around the world. She starred in blockbuster movies. She's literally transformed cultural views of women and business and art. And on top of her like insanely massive career, she's a mother to three children and has been married for over 14 years to Jay-Z, right? But despite all of her popularity, despite all of the success that she's had, despite all of her beauty, despite all of her talent, despite her loyalty to her husband, Jay-Z cheated on her. And I read things like that, and I'm thinking, like, how in the world? How in the world? How do you cheat on Beyonce, right? <laughs> how do you win three Super Bowl titles and think that there's got to be more than that? How do you spend $10 million a minute? How do you have thousands of screaming fans but still feel like you're totally alone? How can you be worth $340 billion and still want just a little bit more? And I think the answers to these questions are found in Psalm 73 this morning. Each of these are, are examples of like this inherent human struggle that we have with contentment. We struggle here. I struggle here, especially recently. It's hard to live in our day and age and be a content person. But we're all constantly distracted and we're looking at what we don't have from possessions. We're looking at relationships to status, influence, power. We're, we're looking at money, wishing that we could enjoy what other people around us seem to be enjoying. And then our natural posture as humans is to be dissatisfied and discontent with what it is that we actually have. And I believe that, that God has more for us and wants us to be completely content in him. That that is his goal. And that's what he's done for us. And I want you to see this in this passage, see this in this passage this morning, that it is actually possible. Because some of us are sitting here this morning thinking, it's not possible. I've struggled with this my whole life. I don't think I could ever be content until I get the things that I want. But I think... I think that God wants us to be completely content in what he's done for us. And I want you to see this in this passage. So I only have one point for you this morning, and you can cheer to that. But it's this, that true contentment is only found in the king and the kingdom. True contentment is only found in the king and the kingdom. Psalm 73 is this poem. And it's a worship song, actually. It's, it's a prayer. And, and it's a prayer of the nation of Israel. It was written by a man named Asaph. And Asaph was one of three chief musicians for, for, the worship, for worship from the Levites. And he, he was in King David's temple, and his 
job was to lead in worship. And so he was commissioned, he was appointed by King David to lead worship, the worship for God's people. This guy was a legit guy. Like he had a legit role. He was top of his class. He was the best musician, best theologian. He was the prophet. This guy was at the top in the terms of his ministry with regards to worship. And not only did he lead these regular songs each Sabbath and then each time they gathered, gathered into the temple, but he also wrote songs for the people. And one of those songs, one of those ancient hymns that he wrote was Psalm 73. This is one of those songs. And his desire was to actually help God's people learn to take their eyes off of the kingdoms of the world and put their eyes back on their covenant-keeping God. Take their eyes off of the kingdoms of the world and put their eyes back on God. But in this one particular psalm, Asaph falls into the cycle of discontent. And this is why I just like was immersed in this psalm, like really trying to understand what he's saying and relate to what he's saying. But he falls into the cycle. And so if it's possible for a worship leader at the top of his game, ministerially, to fall into a cycle of discontent, then how much more is it possible for you and I to do the same exact thing? And so look at this passage. Asaph starts off in verse one and he's in the presence of God. Like he's fully alive, he's fully content. He's resting in the promise and the presence of the king, the promise and the presence of the king. Like he's good. He says, truly God is good to Israel. Truly he's good. He's singing, he, he's worshiping, everything is going well for him. Truly, God is good to Israel. And then he switches gears instantly, and you go into verse two, and he writes about the arrogant and the wicked, those people who boast in themselves and their accomplishments and what they bring to the table. And he says that these people prosper, that they're provided for and they're not in trouble, that their eyes swell through fatness. That's kind of awkward, isn't it? Their eyes swell through fatness. But that's just like a Hebrew way of saying that they were so comfortable, that they were so at ease and so secure in living this luxurious life that the comfort was literally like swelling out of their body and they couldn't contain it. They were so comfortable. And he goes on to say in verse 12 that they're always at ease and they always increase in riches. Have you ever felt like that before? Where you look around and you see other people and you're like, they seem like they don't ever struggle. The life is always good for them. You may not be writing these worship songs about how the eyes of the wicked swell out through fatness, right? But have you ever looked around and felt like other people have it so much better than you do? Have you ever been guilty of that? They have it so much easier. They, they, it's, they're so much more comfortable. They're so much happier than I am. And clearly, as we know, these people that we're comparing to are not actually living these lives that we think they're living, just as Asaph talks about, right? But it seems like that sometimes, doesn't it? It seems like they're living the perfect life. And, and so there's these like visceral, visceral like emotions within us of, of envy and greed and of jealousy and, and they all swell up inside of our hearts and they cause our eyes to shift. Our eyes go from God, like his kingdom, and they begin to shift to the kingdoms of the world. And we start to get distracted and we get lost in everything that everybody else, I mean, we're standing in the midst of it right now. How easy is it to get distracted? 
in sort of like a vine. It sort of like wraps its way around our hearts and it starts to squeeze the contentment out of us until there's nothing left in us but discontent and dissatisfaction. And so you get distracted by what other people have and what they live like and we become painfully aware of what we have and the way that our life is in comparison to what others have. Have you ever played the game before where it's just like, like if I just had blank. So in the seasons of your life where you start to struggle with discontent, you start saying things like, well, if I just had blank, I'd be happy, right? Anybody ever play that game before? If I just had blank, maybe I would be happy. Then I'd be content. Then I'd be totally satisfied. Like, I'm not happy now, but if I just had blank, then I'd be happy. If I had a girlfriend, I'd be happy. If I had a boyfriend, I'd be happy. If I had a spouse, I'd be happy. If I had a different spouse, I'd be happy. We, we start to go down this road. If I could just get into that university, if I could just get that promotion, then I'd be happy. If I could just get likes or if I could just get follows, then I'd be happy. If I could just have a different boss or I could just have a different career, I'd be happy. It, it, if my money, my, my sex life, my, my wardrobe, my apartment was better, I'd finally be happy. But what is it this morning that the Spirit is bringing to your mind right now? What's that thing? What, what do you regularly put in that blank in your own life? Like if you just had what, then you'd be happy <coughs> or content. <coughs> and you see in Psalm 73 that Asaph has this, gift, this discontent that started by him looking around at the lives of others and comparing his life with their life. And he starts seeing all of these things that he doesn't have, which is something that each of us, I think, are very guilty of. Regardless of how much money you have, regardless of your marital status, regardless of the clothes that you wear, regardless of the career that you have, regardless of the life that you've lived, every single one of us, without fail, has felt discontent at some season of our life. And the really important question I want you to wrestle with this morning is, what's the solution to your discontent? Wrestle with that. What exactly is the solution? Because we all feel that way, right? If you're honest with yourself, we all feel that way. So what is the solution? What do we do about it? When I get distracted, when I get my eyes off of our king, when my heart becomes discontent with what I don't have, what is it that I should do? And I think before we answer that question, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Fast forward. Luke chapter 12. I'll wait for you guys to get there. <clears throat> We're going to start reading in verse 13. But I'll set it up a little bit for you while you're turning there. Jesus here, he's teaching to thousands of people. And if you look at verse 1, he says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples. And then he starts teaching. So imagine thousands of people. So many people are literally tramping over, trampling over one another to hear from Jesus. And Jesus starts talking about the kingdom of God. So to put it in context, he says a few things. And, and then we'll pick up in verse 13. So Luke 12, 13 says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So stop there for one second. Put yourself in this situation. Thousands of people 
Jesus, the rabbi, is teaching people about the kingdom of God. He's standing upon a hill. Thousands are around him. Everybody's quiet. Remember, there's no microphones. There's no sound system. So everybody has to figure out what's going on by just listening to Jesus. And some guy says, teach. Tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. Like just out of the blue, right? So put yourself in this situation. How awkward would that be? You all know that guy, right? We all have that guy in our life. Teacher, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. And so he, he doesn't even care about what it is that Jesus is actually saying. He just wants to get to Jesus because Jesus has power. Jesus has influence. He's healed people. Maybe Jesus can actually make his brother give him the inheritance that he deserves. And so we don't know what's going on in this guy's life, but we can assume there's a decent inheritance that this guy is going to get. We, we can assume that it's at least split two ways between these two brothers. And we can assume like the guy is looking for his cut. We don't know whether the brother is against giving it to him. We don't know what the whole situation is. But he wants what's his. Jesus is saying something totally different. This guy chimes in. He wants his inheritance. Teacher, tell my brother to give me my share. And Jesus responds like this. Man, man, <laughs> who has made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, he says. And he told them a parable, a story, saying, the, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be. So the, this message of this rich man is not much different than the message that we hear in our culture today. Because here's what our culture says. When you're feeling discontent, post something on social media to prove to everybody that your life is amazing. Show them that you have no issues in your life, that it's all good, right? No anxiety, no stress. I've got no depression. There's no division in relationships going on in my life. Like, bank account is awesome, right? The direction of my life, clearly awesome. It's amazing. Like, I'm doing so good. Our culture says just buy something. Like, just, just shop around online, go to the store, buy something. Like, you'll feel better if you do that. Experience something, go somewhere. Like, that's the heart of what billboards and ads and magazines and social media are all about. There, there's this new technology in shoes, right? There's new features on the iPhone. There's an easier way to get this degree that would put you right at the proper trajectory in your life. So you want to fast forward. There's a new product for moms. There's a new vacation spot that you can go to. There's a new restaurant down the road. There's a new way of commuting that's better than the last. You name it, we're always being convinced that there's something better. And we've all seen those ads. We've all seen those things. And the reality is, is they're getting to my heart. They're getting to your heart. Like a vine, it's wrapped itself around our hearts. And it's not just about making money, it's actually about forming you into the type of person who's never content with anything that you have. That's the goal. 
Because if they can convince you that you'll be happy if you drove this car, then just maybe it might actually make you go buy that car. And then you do it. We fall into the trap. If you just buy this, or if you just experience this, or have this, you'd be content. You'd be happy if blank. Like actually even psychology offers this unique approach called the positive psychology of learned optimism, is what they call it. Basically, you force yourself to look on the bright side. We, we force ourselves to be optimistic, right? Think positive. Look at all the good things around you, which, again, is not wrong in and of itself. But we know that that doesn't solve the deeper issue. It doesn't heal it. Because comparing our lives to other people is the very reason that we became discontent to start with. The exact same reason. It doesn't solve the issue. So again, what's the solution? What, what is the secret for you and I? How do we avoid these cycles of discontent that we constantly find ourselves with? Well, Jesus tells us in Luke 12, 20, it says, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God, is what Jesus says. Jesus is preaching right to everybody's heart. Like, he, he, he ends this parable by saying that God comes to this rich guy, this rich guy who has everything that the world can offer from relationships and power, possessions, influence, he has it all, and he says, it's time to die, man. Everything you have is meaningless. Give me your will because it's all going to become somebody else's eventually. And he ends the parable like in this brilliant fashion by saying, so is, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God, is what Jesus says. Meaning kingdom contentment has absolutely nothing to do with your possessions. Nothing at all. But it goes beyond our possessions, right? It has nothing to do with our marital status. It has nothing to do with whether or not we have kids or how many kids we have or our jobs or our bank accounts or the clothes we wear or our accomplishments or our savings account or our reputation. But the secret to kingdom contentment is understanding who our king is and what his kingdom looks like. Plain and simply, when we understand who he is and what his kingdom looks like, we can turn away from everything else because we know that in and of itself is sufficient for us. It's the only thing that can satisfy in a world that's trying to convince us that we'll find satisfaction in everything else. I'm guilty of it. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, and I love this passage, right? I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then in verse 13, one of the most popular verses in the Bible, the one that everybody posts all over their Instagram pages and puts on T-shirts, probably the most misinterpreted and misapplied verse in the Bible says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Anybody know that verse? We all know that verse. But what's really, really important about this verse 
is realizing what translations leave out with regards to this passage. There's an important word here in the Greek that does not show up in our translations. This verse is better translated like this. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. Not just anything I want to do. You can't do anything you want to do through Christ who strengthens me. He's saying you can do all these things. And so what are these things that Paul is actually referring to? Well, the things he just talked about right before that passage, if you go read it in context, was actually being content in Jesus is what Paul's talking about. And then, he, and then he says, you could do all these things through Christ, in Christ who strengthens us. You can be content in Jesus, in him only, because nothing else will give you that contentment. You can only find it in him. And so Paul says that the secret to being content in any situation, regardless of what your life looks like, is to look to Jesus the King, to let his power and let his presence strengthen you to be able to live in this kingdom. Man, as we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, it is a miracle of the Lord that we can find any sort of contentment in the world we live in. That is only by his Holy Spirit. So flipping back to Psalm 73, this is exactly what Asaph says in the second half of the psalm. He says that he was so discontent when he looked at the lives of other people. And then I love the shift here, verses 16 and 17. He says, until, until, he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end, is what he says. God's presence literally changes everything for Asaph. God's presence changed everything for Paul. God's presence changes everything for me and for you. Like it's all about coming into his presence. You cannot do this without coming into his presence. Asaph says, until I came into the sanctuary of God, into God's presence, then I was able to discern their end, where they were headed, their trajectory. He was able to discern it only in God's presence. And then in verse 23, Asaph just goes off on the faithfulness of God. And so he, he shifts his focus and he puts his eyes back on the king and his kingdom and everything changes for him. Look what he says. He says, God is continually with me. He holds my right hand. He guides me. He will receive me into glory. He's my strength. He's my portion. And then he ends the chapter by saying, it's good to be near to God. So Asaph and Paul both knew that true contentment is only found in the king and his, in his kingdom. Contentment is found when you understand who Jesus is and what living in his kingdom looks like. All of us, I was going to say in this room, but in this park, have gone through hard seasons and we've gone through easy seasons. We all know what it's like to be in want and we know what it's like to have plenty, which goes beyond just the, the, the measly like possessions and what's in our bank accounts. Like we've had times of plenty and we've had times of want. We've had easy seasons and we've had hard seasons, but fewer, few of us are able to, with Paul, say this, I have learned to be content in all situations. Regardless of what comes my way, I'm content. Few of us can honestly say, I don't need a list of things to satisfy me. Whether my bank account is bursting or it's broken, whether I'm in sickness or I'm in health, whether I'm in singleness or I'm in marriage, whether I'm in the good or the bad, whether I'm in the light or I'm in the dark, whether whatever it is, I am 
content. And why is it that so few of us can honestly say that we don't need anything else to satisfy us? It's mainly because we're always comparing our lives to other people. We can't see it because we're always looking at what other people have. And the reality is that we can be content because Jesus is king. And in his announcement is that the kingdom of God is here on offer to everybody. It's available to all. And so we don't compare our lives with others. We don't work in a positive psychology of learned optimism. We don't simply look on the bright side. We look to Jesus. Amen? We don't look to the bright side. Extreme optimist, I want to look to Jesus because I find contentment and satisfaction in him. Like Jesus literally entered into a time and a space as a human being announcing this good news of the kingdom of God. Like the, the culture of the kingdom in Rome, get this, it was one of power, it was one of consumerism, it was one of comparison, of luxury, of comfort, which is, which is exactly the culture of the kingdom of Coeur d'Alene, isn't it? It's the same thing. But Jesus comes on the scene and he announces this kingdom of God. And he says, repent, believe in me, believe in me, or believe in the good news of the kingdom of God. Because contentment is only found in the king and his kingdom. But this kingdom is not one of ease. It's not a kingdom of safety. It's not a kingdom of comfort. It's not a kingdom of happiness or pleasure. It wasn't even a kingdom of your sins are now forgiven, so go and live however you want and enjoy heaven when you die. Jesus' kingdom literally went against the grain of everything around him. It didn't make any sense to anyone. It didn't make sense to the religious leaders. It didn't make sense to the pagans. It didn't make sense to the Gentiles. It didn't make sense to the government officials. Like, even his own followers were confused by what Jesus was saying. What is this kingdom? They'd ask questions like, what is the kingdom of God that this man is talking about? Because Jesus' kingdom he says, was about loving your enemies. Listen to this. It was about going the extra mile. It was about forgiving constantly. It was about being extremely, extravagantly generous. It was about being a peaceful presence on this earth in our lives. It was about fasting in secret. It was about laying up treasure in heaven. It was about building your house on the rock, which is Christ, and about taking up your cross daily and continuing to follow him. And that kingdom made sense to nobody that Jesus was preaching to. Love your enemies? But like be extravagantly generous? Like that server was terrible. I'm, I'm, I'm tipping him 10% because the service was so poor, right? But in the kingdom, we give 20 or 30% every time no matter how the service is. We just do it. Because we're extravagantly generous people. Like every time Jesus was announcing something in the kingdom of God, everybody's like, what in the world is he talking about? It makes absolutely zero sense. But this isn't what we see in this culture. This isn't what we've seen in religion. So what's Jesus talking about? Because Jesus knew it wasn't about your possessions. It wasn't about being happy. It was about finding your identity and your contentment in him. Finding your satisfaction in King Jesus. His vision for the good life, his vision for eternal life, his vision for life abundant, which actually looks totally different than what we naturally think of as life abundant as we're taught by our culture. Your level of contentment is 100% percent 
proportionate to how you see Jesus and his rule and his reign of your life. How you see the king and how you see the kingdom is imperative. And so you might be thinking like, okay, the, the afterlife is one thing. Thanks for heaven. <laughs> Thanks for this great gift when I die. But what about my current circumstances, Chris? What about what I'm going through right now? Like, how can I actually be content? Look at my life. My life is a total mess. Listen to this. This is a long list. And if you don't amen and clap this list, I'm going to reach out and, like, grab you all by the throat. You know what I mean? Uh, listen to this. In Jesus, if you've ever responded to the good news of the gospel of Jesus and you've put your faith in Jesus, this is just out of the books of Ephesians and Philippians. I am faithful. I've been justified. I am Christ's friend. I belong to God. I'm a member of Christ's body. I've been established, anointed, and sealed by God. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm hidden with Christ in God. I've been given a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. I am chosen before the foundation of the world. I am holy and blameless. I'm an adopted child. I have redemption. I'm forgiven. I have purpose. I'm God's co-worker. I'm a minister of reconciliation. I'm alive with Christ. I'm raised up with Christ. I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I've been shown the incomparable riches of God's mercy. I am God's workmanship. I've been brought near to God through Christ. I have peace. I have access to the Father. I'm a member of God's household. I'm secure. I'm a holy temple. I'm only halfway through. I'm a dwelling for the Holy Spirit. I share in the promises of Jesus. God's power works through me. I've been called. I have God's power. I can stand firm in the days of evil. I'm dead to sin. I'm not alone. I possess the mind of Christ. I'm victorious. My heart and mind is protected by God's peace. I'm chosen and dearly loved. I'm delivered. I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. I'm qualified to share in his inheritance. I have hope. I am included. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm a saint. I am salt and light. I've been chosen by God to bear good fruit. I'm a personal witness of Jesus Christ. I can be humble, gentle, and patient. I can be kind and compassionate to others. I can forgive others. I'm a light to others, and I can exhibit goodness, righteousness, and truth. I can understand what God's will is. And I can be content in every situation, in every relationship, at every stage of life, regardless of what comes my way, because contentment is found in who? King Jesus and his kingdom. Right? I'll close with this. My voice is gone. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 12 and close with this. Paul says this. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For I am weak, then I am strong. Regardless of what comes my way, regardless of my lot in life, I am content. And so as we close, I'm going to go back to Psalm 73, verse 28. Asaph ends his psalm by saying this. But for me, it is good to be I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. So how do we avoid distraction that leads us to this distorted view of other people's lives? How do we do it? How do we... How do we get away from this distraction that ultimately ends in discontent? How do we avoid 
the discontent of Jay-Z and Tom Brady, Black Friday shoppers, Post Malone, Rockefeller. How do we as followers of Jesus living in the city of Coeur d'Alene in such a time as this become a community of, of contentment in a, in a culture of consumerism and discontent? How do we do it? We, we look to Jesus. He sets the model for us. It's very easy, hard to do, easy to vocalize. We look to Jesus. We live every day in the realities of his kingdom. We remember what's been done for us, and we respond in faith as we seek to be faithful ambassadors of the good news of the gospel, and we pray and we work hard to see God's will be done and his kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. Amen? That's it. That's all I have for you. <laughs> but I want you to be encouraged. Because if you're anything like me, you feel consumed by all of this. And that doesn't have to be the way. But it is the way if we take our eyes off of King Jesus. It is the way if we choose to not enter into his sanctuary. Until I entered into his sanctuary, was he able to discern some of you are like, I just can't see it. We'll go spend time with Jesus. You'll see it. Spend time with the Lord. Would you guys stand with me? I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to close in a worship song. And then we're going to gorge out on tacos and Hawaiian shaved ice and cold brew. If you're here this morning, and maybe you're somebody that's just like, Dude, much like you, Chris, I feel that discontent. I find myself swirling and spinning because I'm looking at everything around and getting lost in all the other ways in the other kingdoms. And if you're here this morning and you feel that tension, that pressure, like I'm first to raise my hand because I wouldn't have brought this to you this morning unless it was something that I'm feeling deeply convicted about myself. But if you're here this morning, can I pray for you? Would you raise your hand? Do you want prayer? And as we begin to pray, I want you to keep your hands up. And if your hand's not up, maybe it'll go up halfway through this prayer, right? But I want you to pray for those around you while I begin to pray for us. And we're going to pray that God would give us this divine ability to find contentment in a culture that's constantly leading us to be discontent, to convince us that we need something else other than Christ to satisfy us. Jesus, I thank you so much for this church and the city that you've placed us in, all these people that you've brought to this area. God, so often I'm just like baffled at who you've brought here, how they've gotten here. And I can't help but think, God, that there's just some really neat work that you're doing. And God, I pray that that work that you're doing would not be drowned out by our inherent desire to get lost in the junk around us. I pray, Jesus, that this morning for some of us, there'd be a repent time where we kind of go, yeah, that's me. I, I've got lost in that. And I'm fixing my eyes back on Jesus this morning. I'm reminded this morning of the promises I have in you that I don't need to get lost in all of that junk because those promises in and of themselves are enough. And so I pray for us, God, that our hearts would swell, that we'd be encouraged this morning that it is not all lost, 
that we can do this, that we can do all these things through Christ who strengthened us, that we can find full contentment in you, Jesus. Would your peace come? Would your contentment come? Would the divine ability for us to stop gauging our lives off of everybody else and what's going on in this world be drowned out as we come into your presence, into your sanctuary this morning to glean from you until he came into your sanctuary. He wasn't able to discern, and so this morning we come into your presence. We pray you give us the ability to discern. We pray that you give us the strength to walk that discernment out. And Jesus, in this closing song, as we sing, I do pray that we would approach this time, God, and posture our hearts in such a way that we want to worship and thank you. We want to exalt your holy name, Jesus, because without you, it is for naught. We're lost in this crazy world, getting sucked away by crazy things. But this morning, have your way, Lord. As we come into your presence, would you meet us in this place and begin to change our hearts and change our minds. Renew us, Jesus. Give us a new vision for our life that doesn't involve the things that we can partake in on this earth, but that which we're anchored to in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.